And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. go ladies and gentlemen it is thursday we are rounding out the week live from the bunker hello everyone my name is jason hunt i am the editor here at sci-fi for me chief cook and bottle washer that is my primary role every now and again i write a review push some buttons bring you a broadcast right now we are broadcasting live to youtube odyssey and facebook at least it looks like all of the signal is going out glad to have you here with us you can participate in the conversation by joining the live chat or leaving a comment or you can send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com this show as well as the h2o podcast are available on a number of podcast players if you want to consume your media content that way so here we are once again because some people just can't leave well enough alone all right so let's Let's start with, uh, should we start, should we even bother with this? All right, let me, let me issue a couple of disclaimers here to start with. One, anytime we're talking about anyone or commenting on anyone's behavior, it is not an encouragement or an endorsement for anybody to go contact these people and harass these people. I want to get that out of the way first. Usually we don't have any any kind of problem like that. But when it involves Gamergate, you never know what people will do. And the other the other disclaimer, I will uh, I will readily admit that I don't have first-hand knowledge of what happened with Gamergate. I was not involved or or even, you know, paying attention to any of that stuff that was going on because we weren't covering any of that yet. We had not quite expanded. We had just started uh doing recaps and and stuff on our on our YouTube channel and we started that in 2012. And there wasn't a whole lot of reason for us to be paying attention to that stuff because video games weren't in our wheelhouse quite yet. Hello, Cam1138. Good to see you in the chat. So my awareness of Gamergate comes after the fact. And what limited amount of time I have put into researching it has me convinced that I don't really have an interest in discussing it because it's very obvious from the timelines 
that various people have put together that this whole thing started as one thing and got hijacked and turned into another thing. And one of the people who ostensibly, apparently, allegedly, let me cover my bases there, who apparently helped to hijack the conversation is now back in the news with a new thing. Brianna Wu, who was not the beginning of, of Gamergate. Let's let's be clear about that. I'm not exactly sure when this person became involved in the whole thing. It started with Zoe Quinn. And Anita Sarkeesian glommed on at one point. And it, it, it's, it's about... It's about at the point where Sarkeesian got involved with it that the whole thing got hijacked into a, a into a Me Too type of thing. Because it started with the question of ethics. It started with people sitting there going, well, wait a minute, why are you giving this person a, a, a really good review for their game? Oh, you're dating them. Oh, you have, you have financial stake in the game through crowdfunding. Oh, there are relationships that the journalists have with the game developers that weren't disclosed. That's how it started. And at some point it became video games or sexist misogynists and, and whatnot. And I don't, I'm not going to get into that narrative because, again, I wasn't there paying attention to all of it as it spilled out. But I will, I will link you to a fairly, fairly extensive timeline resource if anybody's really interested in that. But this is deadline October 4th. Alexandria de Rosario is the uh, Alexandra del Rosario, the author of this article. Headline, fictional Gamergate series in the works from Mind Riot Entertainment and video games developer Brianna Wu. Has Brianna Wu ever delivered on a video game that's my question because is is it's hard for me to keep track. Is which one is it Zoe Quinn or Brianna Wu who had the eight thousand eight eighty some odd thousand dollars in the Kickstarter and went to Japan? Was that that was that was Zoe Quinn, I believe it was. Allegedly. From the article, Mind Riot Entertainment will work with journalist, game developer, and computer programmer Brianna Wu for Gamergate, a series about her experience as a critic and target of the notorious 2014 online harassment campaign for which the studio has optioned life rights. The 2014 Gamergate online campaign ignited a firestorm for its targeting of women in the gaming industry, which laid the foundation for current issues of disinformation and hate before QAnon, COVID-19 conspiracists, and the January 6th insurrection, there was Gamergate. I mean, the trailer almost just writes itself, doesn't it? I mean, can you imagine this in Don LaFontaine's voice? In a world. Right? Before QAnon, before the COVID-19 conspiracies, before the January 6th insurrection, there was Gamergate. Bum, 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 bum. Right? I mean, that's the, that's the whole thing. 
this article continues to go through that narrative. Uh, Wu was among the targeted women, <clears throat> which also included Zoe Quinn and Anita, and Anita Sarkeesian. Now, okay. I will stipulate, <clears throat> I will stipulate that Zoe Quinn came under fire in the beginnings of all of this. But, as far as I can determine through my doing homework and due diligence over the past few years, a lot of what came out against Zoe Quinn at the time was, your game is crap. And why is this guy giving it a great review? Oh, wait, he was your boyfriend? That's how Game Gamergate started, folks. And it led to a number of investigations, including with the FBI saying that there was nothing there. There was no there there in all of this mess. But throughout the Gamergate timeline, especially in the beginning, you had the revelations that certain games journalists had personal relationships or financial relationships with the developers of games that they were covering. That's a conflict of interest. That's an ethics question. And yes... Ethics in journalism, and that becomes the catchphrase, and people want to dismiss Gamergate as this sexist, misogynist thing when it wasn't. Now, it might have turned into that because of certain bad actors in the circus, but those monkeys didn't glom onto this thing until after it turned into a three-ring circus. Continuing with the article, the series will explore the origins of the widespread intimidation campaign from the perspective of multiple fictional people in the game industry, from executives to journalists and indie developers. All right, so why, if you have, if you have a number of people who are still alive, <coughs> who haven't committed suicide, who are games-related, <coughs> unlike Mr. Kalauka, uh, 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 what was his name? If you have plenty of people who, are, who were there, why do this as a fictional series. Now, people have asked Zoe Quinn, are you involved in this? And Zoe Quinn's like, nope, I don't have anything to do with it. And has essentially, the way I read it, has essentially disavowed this series. But why do a fictional series? Why not do a, a series of documentaries with a bunch of interviews and here's what happened type of thing? The problem with that is that it is likely that it won't survive scrutiny. Camp says, this whole narrative is completely as false on so many levels. AGC says, took me years to work it out, but it really was just about a false filed DMCA claim against Monday and Matt's YouTube video. It, 
I see. I the mundane mat thing was part of it. I think. I mean, it certainly is an item on the timeline, but it's not the beginning of it. Uh, I do have. This is a rather interesting um, tool. Uh, it is a it is a timeline that goes all the way back to December third, twenty thirteen, and this. I'm going to put in the show description afterwards. But this is basically a, a very extensively researched timeline on all of the things what happened and when and who the, who the responsible parties are. Now you can see this giant block right here that starts around August of 2014 and goes through a number of different events and articles and blog posts and things what happened. And it starts all the way back here with Depression Quest. This is Zoe Quinn's game about being depressed. Submits it to Steam Greenlight. And then you have Zoe Quinn harassed by Wizard Chan. Zoe Quinn claims to be harassed by Wizard Chan for placing the game Depression Quest on Greenlight. Project Greenlight. I guess I guess Steam Greenlight is a incubator type of thing. I'm not familiar with it. I don't know. Then we jump ahead to April 11th, 2014, where Wizard Chan responds to the accusations of harassment. And then we get into the release of Depression Quest. This is all where it started. And then the fine young capitalists, whoever they are, start a campaign to get more women into the gaming industry. Okay, hold on. I thought this was a misogynist, sexist movement. That would seem to indicate that we don't want women in games. But here, right after... Zoe Quinn submits Depression Quest and it gets released. Now we have this campaign to get more women in video games. How did, How is that sexist misogynist? And then, then, here we go. It starts coming out that Zoe Quinn has relationships with certain people who made made it possible for the game to get made and game to get reviewed positively and all of this. And then it starts coming out that some of these game journalists were investing in the games through the various different crowdfunding projects and whatnot. And then you have 4chan, and then you have the mundane Matt stuff come on right here in the middle of it. Kotaku denies allegations of cronyism. And then here you have a number of events that came this this is about August 2014 is about when the whole gamers or sexist thing started to go in because this is where I see the first mention of Anita Sarkeesian and this comes after Adam Baldwin who's an actor and I guess he plays video games he was paying attention to this or something he he created the hashtag gamergate I guess tongue planted in cheek and it stuck and you have now, in September of 2014, a lot of online back and forth and a lot of hashtags and everything happening 
one side versus the other, and he said, she said, or whatnot. You've got evidence found of, of, of different behaviors and if online things. Joe Rogan starts to pop in here and start to start to look at things. But in all of this, in the midst of all of this, now again, this is this is way back. But in the midst of all of this, you have, in August of 2014, you have the revelation that video game journalists are financially supporting games. Kotaku, which originally said, oh, there's nothing to it, Kotaku changes their policy and they banned con- contributions to game developers. If, you, if you're writing games news articles... You can't put money into the games. And then we get Polygon doing a similar type of thing. New ethical standards. You have Polygon announcing writers have to disclose any contributions that they make and any relationships that they have. So there is a change in policy with regard to the ethics of being involved in said games somehow, or having relationships with the people who are developing the games. So it would seem to me, it would seem to me that this started, and here is the evidence that it ended, with a question of ethics. And after that, is when this whole thing blew up as being about women in games, because Anita Sarkeesian has got to run some kind of a fundraiser, I guess. And you look at the pattern that Sarkeesian has. Make some kind of outlandish claim. People dogpile and, and critique and criticize. Cries victim and here's my GoFundMe page or Patreon, or whatever. And that's, to me, my read on the beginning of Gamergate. But it amazes me sometimes, and astounds me, when I stop to think about it, when I take the time to think about it. It's bothersome that we are still, eight years out, seven years out, talking about Gamergate. Because the rewriting Ripley article from last year that tried to tie the fandom menace in the Star Wars community with the alt-right MAGA hat Trump-supporting alt-right extremists. Right? And they invoked Gamergate. And Milo Yiannopoulos, who exposed the fact that a lot of these game journalists were chattering back in the back room on a Google forum called Game Journals, Game Journal Pros. And everybody was coordinating their coverage of particular games and game developers and game companies. People didn't like that very much. Hello, Manny. Good to see you as well, ADC. So, like with anything else, you ask the question, who benefits? Follow the money. 
and a lot of people after after the January sixth thing, we also we also got people trying to tie the January sixth incident at the Capitol with Gamergate and QAnon and all this other kind of stuff. Gamergate is a very very convenient boogeyman. It's easy to invoke the name of Gamergate. Because anytime you have any kind of a gate, and this goes all the way back to Watergate, right? The, in, the entire narrative becomes a thing. Watergate was a scandal. Gamergate. Comicsgate. Whatever, right? Can we start can we start the hashtag Pfizergate? Maybe. This article here in Variety. I I don't understand why we're still talking about this. Because the FBI investigated it. There wasn't anything there. But this this article here, this is this is Brianna Wu talking in this article. Quote We're not going to retread the same story told in thousands of news stories from outlets such as the New York Times and Washington Post, plus multiple documentaries like GTFO. Our series will focus on new, fictional people within the industry reacting to a horrific situation. By explaining how they were unable to stop the video game industry from being hijacked by the lunatic fringe, notice the wording here, we can show how the tactics of Gamergate were the same ones that led to tragedies like Christchurch and January 6th. So basically, this is another attempt. Another attempt to smear and besmirch the reputations of particular people, whether they're real people or not, but the ideal. They're trying to they're trying to tie the ideological elements in this. I don't know anybody in responsible positions of authority or, you know, just man on the street, anybody who thought that any shooting, not just Christchurch, but any shooting is a, is a good thing. So, yeah, there's that. It, it feels like, now remember, Brianna Wu ran for Congress unsuccessfully, I might add. And the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement have had their share of issues, shall we say, coming in the aftermath of Governor Mario Cuomo's demise. Eventually, people realize that this is either a misdirection or a distraction, or a grift, 
A lot of people think that Anita, Anita Sarkeesian is a grifter. A lot of people think Zoe Gwen is a grifter. Brianna Wu could be a grifter. That's the accusation. From I mean, that's a lot of people believe that. Personally, for me, I don't have any skin in the game, and I don't care that much. But it does feed into this narrative that the media would love for you to believe because the media would love for you to believe this narrative about a lot of things. And it's very reminiscent of the other controversy that was going on at the time, starting about 2014-2015, which was the Sad Puppies with the Hugo Awards. And I'm not going to get into all of that. Now, that one I paid attention to a little bit more. The 2015 Hugo Awards was where the whole thing pretty much imploded, and they patted themselves on the back for voting no award for so many different titles in so many different categories and putting out these wooden asterisks. And David Gerald it was, was oh so full of himself that night. And they laughed, and the hilarity ensued, and it was almost turned into a roast. And it proved the point of the puppies. That the Hugos are not necessarily rigged, but if you're not in... The He-Man Woman Hitters Club, if you're not part of the crowd, the acceptable hoity-toity crowd, then you can just go home with no award. We're not going to let you play in our sandbox. And how dare you even make the attempt to think that you are um, among our circle. And we see this continue. Last year with the attack on Band's Bar, the, the forum that uh, was set up over at Band Books, for the longest time was there with just a number of discussions. And then suddenly there was this column. And then it was wrong think Richard Palinelli we've interviewed him here uh, but he makes an interesting point and it's applicable I think both to the puppies situation and Gamergate and, and anything else where people just continue to hang on to something Last Jedi he writes over on Twitter, quote, Is there anything more sad than a small group of never-wers still trying to fight a battle they lost six years ago? It's like the team that lost the Super Bowl staying on the field and playing long after everyone else has gone home. He says, The sad puppies proved their point. Actually, the same people still fighting six years later proved the sad, people's, uh, sad puppies' point in 2015 and moved on. We have lives to lead. The never-wers, like adults stuck in the gory days of their junior high cliques, have nothing else but this. It is actually quite sad, and I almost pity these people were it not for what they have done to people who caused them no harm. 
But given the state of the world today, it isn't all that surprising. We have reached a time where the other is evil and must be destroyed. Any opinion that isn't in lockstep with right thing cannot be tolerated. Those guilty of wrong thing must be attacked and driven out. And all of this tolerance and inclusion is done in the name of tolerance and inclusion without seeing how intolerant they're being. Sadder still, they cannot see the path of self-destruction thereon. In time, they will fade away to their well-deserved oblivion with no one ever remembering who they were, while the rest of us carry on writing books and creating other media that will live on forever. He's got a point. At some point, it's time to move on. It's time to stop living in the past. It's time to stop... It. Okay. You know what this reminds me of? There are certain marriages <clears throat> that go the way of the... How shall I put this? I need to be very delicate here. But there are some marriages where one spouse takes offense at something the other spouse does or says or doesn't do and looks for every opportunity to remind the offender of how much you're offended and some some spouses will continue to bring up past offenses in an attempt to make them feel guilty maybe it's uh, <laughs> robert Window on Jason's bad marriage segment of the show. Now, I'm not saying that my marriage was like this. My current marriage is definitely not like this. My current marriage is very, very, very good. Thank you very much. I'm very happy with Mrs. Balls. My previous marriage had, had issues, yes. I'm not saying this is one of them. But I have heard stories. Because we get those stories. Of one spouse, you know, somebody just hanging on to past offenses. We're going to beat you over the head over and over and over and over again. A lot of marriages in this way. And it's sad. It really is pitiful how how marriages deteriorate into this he said, she said, and everything turns into an argument. We we need to, I say we, the media, and I, I'm, I'm in media, I guess you could say that, need to stop giving oxygen to these issues that have already been debunked or disproven or proven, depending on, you know, what point of view you, you've got. It's time to move past things. And 
we have at least one, probably two, maybe three generations of people who have the mental fortitude of a bean. And they don't want to let go because this is the hill they're going to die on, whether it's Gamergate or Sad Puppies or whatever. And if you look at the people who are continuing to bring this stuff up and bludgeon everybody else around them with it, they're usually of a piece. They're usually of a certain ideological bent, a certain behavioral style, I guess you could say. They seem to all be mentally and emotionally in a particular camp. And it's time for us, as fans, as creators, as media, as regular normal people, to start ignoring this camp. Put a fence around it. Put a wall around it. Let them have their little country all to themselves and let them stew in their own juices and let them froth of the mouth and complain about everybody else. And in the meantime, we all just move on and live our lives. Right? Isn't that what we should be able to do? But I tell you, some people are not going to let us to do that. And we're going to talk about that. Well, we're going to talk about one aspect of it when we get back. Because this is a very, very scary thing coming to us from various different places. We will talk about that when we continue live from the bunker right after this. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. Experience makes the difference. Since 2009, Sci-Fi For Me has been bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Science fiction, fantasy, and horror have been on our radar from the beginning. And now, Sci-Fi For Me is bringing you something new. A new direction, new partnerships, new content, and all-new mix of programs on an all-new channel. Sci-Fi For Me TV, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here. This is Sci-Fi for Me TV, Sci-Fi for Me.com, Sci-Fi for Me Radio, everything Sci-Fi for Me. And I'm for those of you who are watching, you can see the Sci-Fi for Me Control Center. All four of my monitors are back up and running. I'm very happy about that. Got my clock back up on the wall. For those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, you should go check us out. Uh, we've posted a couple of photos over on social media. Or, or watch the show. You can do that too. 
All right, so now let's let's get into this other thing here because it kind of it kind of dovetails uh, out of a couple of things that we have talked about before with regard to George Orwell and the behavior of certain segments of society and this to me is extremely extremely troubling <clears throat> let's start with Disney this is an article this is Newsmax but this headline here Disney to use sticker system to identify onset vaccinated workers The Walt Disney Company is creating a sticker system to distinguish COVID-19 vaccinated workers from unvaccinated workers on its television and movie sets, according to Breitbart. Fully vaccinated workers in Zone A, the area closest to the actors, will wear a wristband, while those who are not won't. According to a tweet from executive film editor Tatiana Siegel at The Hollywood Reporter, quote, vaccine debate is tearing Hollywood apart. Case in point, Letitia Wright quietly parted ways with her entire U.S. team of reps in the wake of backlash over posting a controversial anti-vax video in December. Now, we talked about this a little bit, this idea of questioning whether or not these cures are, are doing more harm than the disease itself. And I think based on the data that we have looked at for, for us personally here, there's a number of re there are a number of reasons to question the efficacy of certain <clears throat> medical products, let's say. But the other part of this, though, and this, this actually is kind of interesting, because if Disney is doing this, then it's a change from their policy that was announced through an email to Disney employees a few weeks ago, uh, a couple of months ago now, where they were going to require every employee to have a shot. Because the 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 Walt Disney Company was going to require it. I, I freelance uh, for a number of occasions in the past for ESPN and ABC for their sports coverage here in town. And the email was very clear. The Walt Disney Company is expecting every one of their employees and contractors and freelancers to have that thing done. So now, with this, if they're allowing for a distinguishing mark for the folks who are getting it as opposed to the folks who are not getting it, is that a change in their policy? Because my understanding was that they were going to require everybody to have it. But this seems to indicate that they've backed off of that and maybe they're allowing for, the per for, the, for, the, for some people, whether it's through religious exemptions or medical exemptions or waivers of some sort, or if people just flat out refuse to get it, then maybe they're allowing for that possibility. But the, the, troubling, the troubling part of this 
is that you're going to have something external to indicate that you are part of a segregated group. And it is segregation. Make no mistake about this, folks. We are segregating people according to their status with regard to a needle and the injection. And then there's this out of Germany. This is RP Online. It's a German magazine. This photograph here, Guido Lohmann, Karl Heinz Thuyssen, and Simon Krivek. These are the people who are in charge of this. In the article, we see them holding their little yellow buttons. Here's a photograph of the button itself. It says... Are you vaccinated? Yes. Here's the translation of that. As many people from Mars, uh, this is a city, I guess, in Germany, as possible, should soon wear the small but eye-catching button on their lapels and thus advertise vaccination against COVID-19. Guido Lohmann from the Mayor's Initiative Group, the Mayor's pharmacist Simon Krivek, and Karl Heinz Thuyssen, from the SCI, presented the campaign on Monday. It's a posture and commitment button, says Thoyson, who had the idea. He was inspired by the yellow nuclear power no-thank-you buttons from the 1970s and 80s. The incidence figures are currently pleasantly low, said Guido Lohman. Something strikes me about that name. Guido Lohman. What is it about that name? And Germany and yellow indicators that you wear. It one it may come to me in a minute. Just let me let me let me let me think on that for a minute. Something about that name in Germany where they're going to start wearing these little yellow buttons. No, can't think of a thing. Can't think of anything, right? <sighs> Continuing with reading the translation. Life, the incidence figures are currently pleasantly low, says Guido Lohmann. Life is normalizing. What worries us is the concern that people will be carefree. The willingness to vaccinate leaves something to be desired in some places. A fourth corona wave is looming in winter. Simon Krikvec also emphasized, quote, many people have the feeling that we have survived it, end quote. But the feeling is deceptive. Only around 65% of Germans are fully vaccinated. There's still a long way to go to 80 to 85% that are estimated to be herd immunity. Now, and here's, here's my understanding of herd immunity, folks. Herd immunity happens when people have it, and they recover from it, and they have antibodies for it. And studies are showing, in a number of places, because I have looked into this quite a bit, I have... I have researched this. I have run across all sorts of papers, but there's a particular one in the Lancet study out of Vietnam among hospital staff that were all, all fully vaccinated. And they were shedding viral loads that were 271 times what you would get from somebody who was unvaccinated. There is a study that shows a possibility, and I can't remember the there was a there's an acronym for it. It's a particular condition where the virus 
has to work much harder when it encounters a vaccine and thus mutates. And it is suggested by some of these studies that the variants we're seeing, the Delta variant, the Mu variant, and all of that, could be the result of the virus encountering these vaccines. So could the vaccines actually be doing more harm than good? According to the VAERS data, we've got several thousand people, probably a good 20,000 people, who have died after taking that shot, or those shots, depending on which one you're getting. Multiple incidences of myocarditis. And some of that is because the spike protein attaches to ACE receptors in various organs, most especially the heart, but not exclusively the heart. It's attached itself to lungs, kidneys. We have a lot of information that's coming out that a whole lot of people don't know about. And you have people who are willing, in Germany, mind you, and other places, don't get me wrong, this is not just in Germany. This is worldwide. Show us your sticker. Show us your badge. Show us your button. Show us your wristband. Papers, please. At what point... At what point do we say enough is enough? I'm going to say this as clearly as I can. I am not advocating for anything violent. But we don't get normal back until we take it back. We don't get normal. This is not normal. They want to normalize segregation on a global level. This is not normal. And it should not be normal. And we should resist every effort to make it normal. Ziggy7800, good to see you in the chat. The Germans, they know a thing about marking people. I don't it's it's not just them. And now they give us an example. There is an example from history about how this goes. Something, I might add, that Gina Carano pointed out a while back. How does this kind of thing happen? Because it's gradual. They take a piece, and then they take another piece, and they take another piece of your freedom. And there's no accountability... You're not allowed to ask questions. We're not allowed to discuss natural immunity, for example. We're not allowed to discuss a particular horse pill. I actually had a conversation earlier this week with 
a medical practitioner that I know. And they're not allowed to prescribe the Iver drug because the lawyers are involved. And the lawyers are telling them, you can't prescribe that. It'll invite all sorts of liability onto the hospital. Since when did lawyers get so much power and authority that they could determine how a doctor treats his patient? When did the politicians gain enough knowledge that they could determine how a doctor treats his patient? Those are the questions that I have. Because you also have the question, and we go back to this, who benefits? Who benefits from those doctors not being allowed to prescribe certain drugs? Could it be the drug companies that are coming up with their own version of it here soon? That's probably not going to be less than a dollar a pill. In the meantime, we're getting conditioned to comply, report your neighbors who don't comply, And here's, here's a question. This is not a refined question. But if the executive branch issues an executive order that requires businesses with employees of 100 or more requires them to mandate that their employees get a medical procedure, does that then make those businesses, by proxy, agents of the government? Health agents of the government. And if so, does HIPAA apply? I've seen a lot of discussions about HIPAA because HIPAA applies to medical practitioners <clears throat> and what access they have to your records. And people have said, and I don't know just exactly how applicable it is in the business world, where people have said HIPAA doesn't apply to businesses asking if you're vaccinated or not. I don't know that that's true. I don't know it's not true. Robert says, since the 1980s, when medical malpractice, medical malpractice suit awards took off into the stratosphere, that's when lawyers gained more influence in medical care. I would not doubt that. Cam1138, there is no limit to your means to protect your freedom from the people trying to take it from you. As long as it's for the common good, right? We can take away your freedom in the name of the safety of society. I'm just asking questions here. I'm pointing out we are circling the Orwellian drain. And I don't know that enough people are awake yet 
I don't know that enough people are standing up yet that we can knock this thing down. It may be too late. It may be not. You never know. One thing I do believe is the United States stands in the way of the New World Order. We are the last line, as it were. And it's going to come down to everybody having to make a choice. Sides will be chosen. Hopefully, not violently, but I'm anticipating a little bit of that because 1984 mixed with Hunger Games, and that's what you get. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here. Don't forget, I, I will put this, uh, put this Gamergate timeline in the notes. And uh, feel free to check it out. I'll put another one in there because there's two. One of them is on the other side of the argument. So I'll put them both in there, and you guys can look and do your due diligence if you want. You decide what you want to believe. I don't know. We'll put both of them in there. In the meantime... Don't forget, on Saturday, we will have a new installment of Good Morning Multiverse, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central. And we will have the latest headlines for the week, in addition to the school closings list and the weather forecast for next weekend. And then we will do this all again on Monday. We will have some guests lined up for next week. I've got to confirm a couple of dates, and uh, we'll get that out to you. So join us on social media. We're on a lot of them, including the unacceptable wrong-think ones, because, you know, why put your eggs all in one basket, right? And uh, if you have not subscribed to the channel yet, we do invite you to do so. Have your notifications turned on. Also, join us over on Odyssey. And uh, find us there. And we'll do this again. Lord willing and the creek don't rise. So have a good weekend, everyone. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 